1 to 18, where we read about salvation and the Holy Spirit for all. Acts 11. Now the apostles and the brothers who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him, saying, You went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. But Peter began and explained it to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision, something like a great sheet descending, being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to me. Looking at it closely, I observed animals and beasts of prey and reptiles and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But the voice answered a second time from heaven, What God has made clean do not call common. This happened three times, and all was drawn up again into heaven. And behold, at that very moment, three men arrived at the house in which we were sent to me from Caesarea. And the Spirit told me to go with them, making no distinction. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen the angel stand in his house and say, Send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. He will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them, just as on us at the beginning. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave us the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? When they heard these things, they fell silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. This is God's word. Please be seated. Uh, well, this morning we do have a, the special opportunity and honor to have um, one of our older friends. Actually, he's come here before to preach to us. Uh, Omar Rodriguez, uh, Pastor Omar Rodriguez, is currently serving at our deno denominational missions headquarters as the international director for Reach Global for Latin America and the Caribbean. And uh, just having a brief conversation before service, um, there's enormous, enormous opportunities and challenges um, that he oversees that's going on um, over there. But yeah, I'm very thankful personally for uh, Brother Omar, um, he's, he's a great brother, we've, we've had meals together, we've seen each other at these national conferences, uh, but he just has a, a great heart for the Lord and for the Great Commission, and uh, he brings a perspective um, for our context here that I, I very much value and appreciate, and so uh, I'm thankful for our partnership with uh, Pastor Rodriguez, as well as for his friendship as well. So um, without further ado, I'm going to have a Pastor Rodriguez, come, and uh, let's give him a, a warm welcome. Monterey Park is about as close to home as I get. I grew up here, uh, as I said before, uh, sixth grade through high school, and uh, have never had the opportunity to live here again, so it's always a treat to me uh, to come and Passed by the hat and uh, the uh, 
area here, and every once in a while when I come, I, I stop by my old home where I grew up and see it, and it brings back a lot of memories. It's a real joy to be with you this morning to share God's Word. Um, the passage that I was given was actually, is actually quite extensive. It goes from Acts chapter 9, verse 32, uh, to chapter 11, verse 18. It kind of reminded me when uh, George Verwer from uh, OM would come to Moody Bible Institute, and he'd get up, and he'd have, basically in those days, it was 45 minutes, and he'd say, you know, I've got 36 points for tonight. And so as I started studying the passage, it's actually a very rich passage, and I was uh, really enjoying it and learning a lot, so I had to cut out enough to fit within the time slot here. But I want to um, concentrate on a particular aspect that this passage brings to us. It's actually very challenging, and it's very close to my heart uh, as I engage in missions and as I engage with the churches, not just in the United States, but around the world. Um, the, the summary of the theme that God is bringing before us is actually uh, summed up in verse 18 of chapter 11. Then to the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. To the Gentiles also God has granted repentance that leads to life. In other words, the gospel is for all. The whole passage that I was given to preach this morning leads us to this conclusion. And you know what? I could end it right there. Because you don't often get too many slam dunks when you're preaching a particularly long passage. It's pretty easy. And I can't think of anybody in evangelical Christianity today who would dispute that truth. Most of us are not Jews. Most of us are Gentiles. We are the uncircumcised ones that the passage refers to. So none of us here this morning are going to say, well, wait a minute. The gospel belongs really just to the Jews. So in essence, we could cut down the whole sermon to just say, hey, folks, brothers and sisters in Christ, remember the gospel is for all. And we could go home right away because it's a slam dunk. There's no question. There's no argument. We are all experienced in this fundamental truth that the passage brings out. The gospel is for all. But if you saw the message of the sermon this morning in your bulletins, your now extinct bulletins, the passage theme, the sermon theme is not the gospel for all. It is the gospel to all. And this is a problem for each and every one of us. Particularly as we live in these United States, 
in this day and age. But it isn't really a problem that's just limited to the U.S. church. Every church that I go to around the world struggles with this particular truth. So here is the question that I want to attack this morning through this passage. If it is true that we are convinced without a doubt that the gospel is for all, why then do we struggle so much with taking the gospel to all? Let me repeat it. If it is true that we are convinced without a doubt that the gospel is for all, why then do we struggle so much with taking the gospel to all? I'm of Hispanic heritage. Whenever I go anywhere and go into any church that is Hispanic in nature, the first question I am asked is, where are you from? Right? You may have the same problem if you are Chinese and you go to another Chinese church or go to China and you begin to speak your question is, well, where are you from? When I was a first-term missionary back in 1993, my family and I actually spent the first year of our mission service in Mexico City. I was born in Mexico. My parents were actually living in Mexico City at the time. It was the first time that I had gone back to live in Mexico since I was seven years old. And I would begin to speak to people, and the very first question they would ask me is, where are you from? Because you look like us. You have a last name that sounds like it's from here, but you don't sound like us. You got this funny accent, right? So where are you from? And I would always get into trouble because whenever people ask me that, I don't know how to answer. Because at this stage of my life, yes, it's true, I was born in Mexico. I lived there seven years, but I have no actual memory outside of a few traumatic experiences of my childhood in Mexico. I came to the States when I was seven. And we broke the mold right there and then because we didn't start attending a Mexican church, we joined a Cuban church. We were the only Mexican family in the midst of this Cuban congregation. But wait, the other six year days of my life I spent in an English-speaking public school. And all my friends, especially here in Monterey Park, were English-speaking. That's where I grew up. And then when I finished high school, I went off to college, and everything went into English. Not only just English, but culturally speaking, I went from a highly conservative Cuban congregation to a very liberal private college. And then I went to Moody Bible Institute, which was another cultural experience in the Midwest, very fundamentalist, very conservative. 
My introduction to my roommate at Moody was walking into this room with his six foot five, 250 pound boy from Indiana looking at me saying, hey, are you a Mexican? Do you speak Spanish? And then I went off and married a gal who was um, uh, Anglo, adopted, not from a Christian home. We went to Mexico City as missionaries. I then went 10 years to Venezuela. And now I've been back in the States from 2004. Where am I from? Who are my people? The number one question I get asked when I go to a Hispanic congregation is, Omar, where can we go in Latin America to serve God? Well, why don't you consider the world? Lots of opportunities in Asia, in Africa, in Europe. Are you kidding me? Right now, that's the place to be. Oh, no, 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 Omar. I want to go where my people are, right? We know that the gospel is for all. Why is it that when we look at the opportunities for the gospel today, we struggle so much with taking the gospel to all? Is it possible that we're not much further along than that primitive first century church was with regards to this? But Scripture will teach us this morning some keys that I hope will help us as we grapple with this question. First of all, if we go to the very beginning of this whole episode where it concludes in verse 18 of chapter 11, it actually starts in chapter 9, verse 32. We have two incredible um, accounts of what God is doing in the world at that point. We hear that Peter has gone to two cities and he has uh, been participant in two incredible miracles. A paralytic has been healed and now walks and a sister who has been dead comes to life. Not only that, but in the first case, the entire city and in an adjacent city, everybody comes to Christ. In the second account, the whole city and a good portion of the city comes to know Christ. This is an international leaders from a mission agency's dream, right? to hear back a report, hey, how did it go on your mission trip? Well, we raised a paralytic, a sister in Christ was raised from the dead, many people came to Christ. Everything was going great. But you know, just because everything is going great in ministry does not mean that we are fulfilling all of God's call. If it's if it's working fine, why fix it? If ministry is going well, certainly that means that God's hand is upon us. This is all that we are being called to do. 
just because everything is going great in ministry does not mean that we are fulfilling all of God's call for our ministry. So here's a question for you. Despite our success, is there anything else that God has clearly stated in his word that I must do that I am currently not doing? Even though things are doing great, it is always a great exercise when we're doing ministry to ask the question, am I doing all that God wants me to be doing? Is our ministry reflective of all of God's heart, or is it just reflective of a portion of his heart and his will? Now, Peter is moving along because one of the things that we find out in towards the end there of chapter 9 is that he goes to be with this tanner named Simon in the city of Joppa. Now, a tanner for us means nothing, right? But in those days, a tanner, especially if he was a Jew, was considered to be unclean because he would be uh, working with animals and tanning them, and not all of them were ritually clean animals. So he actually had to live outside of the general vicinity where all the pious Jews lived. So Peter has already taken the step of moving in this direction where he is hanging out with someone who the rest of the Jews who were pious considered to be an unclean person, ritually unclean. Number two, when we read the account of Cornelius, we must always remember this simple fact. Despite the fact that he was a God-fearing man and was seeking God in prayer, there is one fundamental truth here to Cornelius. Cornelius was an officer of the invading army. He was the Jews' worst enemy. He was the enemy. Even though he might have met with them in their synagogue, even though he might have sought to study the, the law of Moses, even though he was trying to honor God in his life, even though he had an active prayer life, even though it was clear that he was sharing what he was learning with uh, other soldiers and his family members, he was the enemy of the people. As I told you, I grew up in a Cuban congregation. Cubans who had immigrated either forcibly or by choice from the Castro Revolution. They had lost everything. During those days, uh, evangelical pastors were being persecuted. Churches were being burned up. Bibles were being destroyed. Children of pastors and believers did not have access to universities. They did not have access to the best jobs that were available in those days. Imagine yourself being kicked out of your home and losing everything. 
I learned a lot about praying for the church in Cuba in those early days. I also learned a lot as to how to pray for my enemies during those days. They were fundamentally imprecatory prayers. If you know what an imprecatory prayer is, look it up in the Psalms. God, this man who has destroyed our country. God, this man who has destroyed my family. God, this man who has destroyed your church. Destroy him. Who could blame him? He was their enemy. Not once, however, did I ever hear a prayer, God, would you be merciful and save this man from hell? Why? Because he is my enemy. Surely he is also your enemy, God, and as such, he must be destroyed. That was in 1959, more or less, when Castro took over Cuba. Cuba. We're in 2019 today. 60 years? Is that what we're talking about? 60, 70 years? What could have, might have happened had the church of Cuba cried out to God, God, be merciful to this, my enemy, your enemy. Did we by chance forget that each one of us, biblically speaking, apart from God, are what? His enemies. By chance, was he not merciful? gracious, redemptive towards us? What makes us any more special than this other group over here? Who's your enemy this morning? I know when I was in high school, my enemy my freshman year was the kid who would come down the hall and punch me in the stomach. I knew that my enemy when I entered college was that professor who was telling me Jesus is not God. I know that my enemy at Moody was those who looked at me differently because I was Hispanic. Who is your enemy today? If we know that the gospel is for all, does that include our enemies? And what are we doing to reach them? The U.S. is very polarized right now. Who is praying 
for the enemies. We're talking against the enemy. We're fighting against the enemy. Are we as a church fighting to pray for the souls of our enemies? I was recently, uh, just a couple days ago, in Panama City uh, speaking to uh, and meeting with the president of the Free Church of Venezuela. As you follow the news of Venezuela, what you don't hear is what God is doing in that country. And one of the things that you will not hear about is what this particular man and the church in Venezuela, or at least some of it is is uh, doing and praying is, is that God would bring a revival to all of Venezuela. Right now, Venezuela is divided between the allies of the government and the opposition. And the word out is that if we just get rid of this government and bring in the opposition, all of Venezuela's problems would be solved right? Democracy, freedom, free market, food, etc. So we must pray actively that God would not just remove the current government and all of its supporters. We must ask God to actually destroy them, right? That's our man-made solution to the problem, right? Destroy the enemy, and all your problems will be solved. And this brother was telling me, Omar, I feel alone. I feel alone not just with those who are not believers, but more importantly for most of the church in Venezuela today. Because whenever I bring up a prayer asking God to be merciful to somebody like a Maduro, I am ostracized and considered to be a, uh, one who is favorable to the government because I dare to pray for the enemy of my people. Cornelius was an enemy to Peter. He was the invader. And yet God sent Peter to him to share the word. And because he did, Cornelius' life was eternally transformed, as was the life of his family and many of his closest associates. Scripture doesn't tell us what the end result was of that transformation in Cornelius's life. But we can be certain that there was a tremendous personal transformation, and if so, then that had to have been manifested in his life, in every area of his life. Finally, just because you are a Christian leader does not mean you will not have to deal with questions in your own heart regarding God's will. We, we almost laugh at Peter, don't we, because God had to tell him three times, hey, this is okay, this person is no different than you. 
Peter was an apostle. Peter was an Orthodox Jew who studied the Torah, who had spent three years with Jesus Christ. Peter had heard Jesus tell him, hey, the keys of the church are now in your hands to a certain extent, right? And yet, Peter three times had this struggle with God. God, how can you ask me to do this? It's unclean. And God telling him, no, do not consider that which I have made clean to be impure. Three times. We laugh, right? When God repeats something, it's fundamentally important for us because we need to remember it. When he repeats it three times, that's God's sledgehammer, right? telling us something, and three times he had to speak to Peter, no, this is perfectly fine. I love in chapter 11 uh, the last question that Peter sends to himself as well as to the church leaders in verse chapter 17. After all this testimony, after all that I have seen, after I have seen the pouring down of the Holy Spirit upon this people who have come to know Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? Now, he doesn't say this to depreciate himself as in, I'm worthless. That's not the answer. The answer we find when he is before Cornelius and Cornelius comes down before him and he bows down and begins to worship him, right? And what does Peter say? I'm just a man. He's not saying in this, who am I as I'm a worm, I'm worthless, I'm no good for nothing. He's simply saying, who am I? I am not God. And three times he had to wrestle, God, me, God, me, God, me, God. As Christian leaders, we often have to wrestle with that. God presents something to us, and we say, I don't see it. He comes back, he shows us a different say. Wait, I still don't see it. He comes back and shows us irrefutably. And then we say, okay, well... God, you are right. So the end result of looking at and responding to the gospel, not just for all, but to all, is the church of God glorifying God together. God wants us to glorify him because he is granting to all people the opportunity to hear the gospel, to repent, and to experience new life. And he has chosen us to be his ambassadors. The gospel is for all. It is incumbent upon us who believe in God to take it to all. You guys have a Chinese missionary in Panama City. That's wonderful. I almost had the opportunity to meet him, but his brother died, and so he had to leave the country for a week. And I rejoice that there is a missionary ministering to the Chinese community in Panama City. But as a Hispanic, I have to ask the question, why 
did a Chinese missionary have to come to minister to the Chinese in Panama? Why did the church in Panama not say, aha, we have some a Buddhist or Confucius or, or atheist amongst us? Let us go out and invite him into our homes, invite him into our church, begin to have conversations about the gospel of Jesus Christ. I understand fully that it is much more comfortable for me to speak Spanish and to share the gospel with a Hispanic. But I also know that God has called me and each one of us, irregardless of our cultural makeup, irregardless of our social standing, irregardless of our educational standing, to speak and preach the gospel to all. Will we do it, church? Will we respect, respond to God's irrefutable call upon us to teach not just Jesus Christ died for all, but with equal seal and passion to take that message to all? If we do, we together, as one church, not as Chinese Christians, not as Hispanic Christians, not as American Christians, but as Christians will glorify God together for what he has done in taking the gospel to all. Let's pray. Father, I pray this morning as we gather this morning that you would